Hello and welcome to Portroidcast episode 11. As always, I'm Rick, and on this edition of the podcast, I sit down for an interview with comedian Jen Kirkman. Jen was performing in Denver at the Comedians of Chelsea Lately show at the Fillmore Auditorium. Uh, we were also joined about halfway through by comedian Randy Sklar from the Sklar Brothers. I hope you enjoy the interview. Here it is. All right, I'm here uh, backstage at the Fillmore Auditorium in Denver with comedian Jen Kirkman. Hello, Jen. Hi. Um, so uh, just uh, for a quick history, yeah. you started doing comedy in Boston yeah. and performed in New York for a few years. Yeah. Uh, and now you're a regular performer in the Los Angeles comedy world. Yeah. Um, and in each of these cities, you seem to gravitate toward the more alternative rooms, uh, from Eugene Merman's open mics mm-hmm. in Boston to Luna Lounge to UCB and kind of interesting shows uh, like Dead Author Readings and um, Comedy Death Ray, uh, something like... Uh, Morgan Murphy presents Jen Kirkman and other guests. What would you say it is about your style of comedy that lends itself to these types of rooms and crowds uh, while still allowing the versatility to perform successfully in the more traditional comedy club environment? Well, yeah, I was going to say, I think that, like, I was talking about it with some friends today, like, when I first started with Eugene, I didn't know there was this thing, alternative comedy, so I thought that everyone performed in bars because Boston was like, it was like World War II in Paris, like bombed out, like there were no clubs left. So it was like, then when I moved to New York and there were all these clubs, I thought, because I was so used to performing, which the way I used to do was like sit on a stool and tell stories. And then when I got to New York and clubs were like, I don't give a shit about that story. So I can swear, right? Yes. Okay. So, um, anywho, so then I just decided, I guess I must be alternative, but all it was was I just wasn't a good comic yet. You know, like everyone in the first three years is like kind of finding their voice. So now I feel like I'm a normal comic that, especially as I get older, I'm gravitating more towards the clubs. Because when I do UCB, even though everyone's really great and they're big comedy fans, probably 10% of the audience can relate to what I'm going through, which is I'm 35, I'm married, I'm gaining weight, I don't want children. Like, there's just kind of this, there's such a young demographic there that they definitely laugh because I think they appreciate the style, which is confessional, honest. It seems like it's off the top of my head sometimes it is. So I think that's why I do well in those rooms. And then the more traditional clubs is because I think I'm talking to people that are actually maybe more my age and experiencing what I'm experiencing. But but yeah, I think more now, like, I'm in LA, I'm doing like the improv more in the Laugh Factory, which are kind of the more mainstream places. And I'm taking that weird, neurotic, crazy thing I do, and it's working. So it's like some, either I'm changing or people are changing or whatever, but... It's kind of awesome. I feel really lucky that I can bounce. Yeah, that, that, yeah, it's definitely great. Uh, now, a few years ago, you released a comedy album, uh, the first released by AST Records, uh-huh. called Self Help. Uh, and going into the album recording, did you consider that uh, then as burnt material, uh, forcing you to rework or change up your act, or do you still pepper your future routines from that point forward uh, with what would then be considered crowd favorites? And, yeah. And do you have a follow-up album planned? Yes. Well, I'm going to do a new one in 2010. Um, hopefully before, like, Christmas. I guess I would have to because then that would be the end of 2010. <laughs> right, yeah. But, yeah, it was funny because with AST, I was their first album, and they were the whole thing was going to be an experiment. So I, did, I took it seriously. I was happy to do it, but I didn't take it that seriously. Like, I wasn't like, here is my act. So a lot of stuff was, like, improvised things and beginnings of bits that now are like huge staples of my act and have been totally reworked. So I don't feel like a lot of the material is burnt 
because some of the stuff I say on that album I've said once and only once and it was on that album yeah. and a lot of it is like typical jokes I do I don't feel like they're burnt only because it's not like I'm usually famous or famous at all and people know who I am so if the small amount of people that bought that album hear the joke about my mom yelling at my dad I feel safe doing that joke tonight in Denver I don't think most of the crowd here is like I know that already yeah. you know and even if they did you know. it's only one quick joke yeah so I, I don't know if I've cut favorites I guess you know just the crowd but I don't I don't think there are any uh, and you first came into my awareness via your postings on thespecialthing.com um, and with, with social networking sites like MySpace Facebook Twitter uh, as well as celebrity pre uh, presences on message boards, mm -hmm. uh, the dynamic between performers and fans has, has shifted. Yes. Um, it used to be there was a marked line of separation, and now there seems to be more direct contact options uh, and opportunities for dialogue. What, uh, how do you think that has affected the relationship between the performer and the audience? I don't th always think it's great. I think performers should take it easy and not like read message boards to see what people are saying about them, good or bad. I think it's it should be a sacred place for the fans to say whatever they want to say. But I also think that it is weird, like um, like I have a Facebook friend page, and but I have a Facebook fan page, and all the uh, people on it that are fans of mine, the new crop of people don't want to refer to themselves as fans. Like I don't know if they think of it as a derogatory thing, so they won't join the fan page, and and. So I had to start a private separate account for my family and friends on Facebook and now my real page, you know, whatever. So I think there's this weird thing like, no, we're in each other's lives. And I, what I experience a lot that drives me crazy is I might make a joke about something, like I have a new bit I'm working on about, oh, I've gained some weight or whatever. And so people will jokingly write to me like, hey, fatty. But I don't understand the sarcasm on Twitter because they're not necessarily funny. And it's like, and they're like, well, you can do that. And I'm like... Yeah, because me, and there's a lot of this new generation, I think, doesn't understand, really. And also, they'll be like, well, you're in Chelsea lately making fun of people. And I'm like, I know, but I'm not calling up Lindsay Lohan and forcing her to watch TV. So, it's, I'm not saying it to her face. So, I think there's a lot of weird misunderstandings that happen. And I, I think there's this sense of, like, if you don't write back to me, you're an asshole. Like... First, I will get emails that are like, oh my God, like as if I'm the most famous person ever lived. Oh my God, I need advice, or I just want to tell you something. And then I've not been able to write back, and then I get a follow-up email, which is completely tearing me down. Like, who do you think you are? I'm one of the only people that knows you. And it's like, I just, I always say, I can't imagine like Frank Sinatra having given a shit like what his fans are saying about him. And I heard this story once about Johnny Carson. And it's kind of a cruel reality. Like, he was outside at the Tonight Show in the parking lot, and all these audience members were talking to him. And he didn't mean to be out there with them. And he yelled at a security guard, like, don't ever let me start talking to normal people again. Like, I think it's hard. It's like, it, it's, I would like it to be like, I'm on stage and you laugh, and maybe you tell me, oh, I liked it, or something like that. But I like that people can email and say, I've had a similar experience. That's great. But yeah, there, there's a line that's getting blurred in it, in it. There's no way for me to talk about it without sounding like an asshole. Because the, the typical response people give me is like, you should be lucky anyone likes you. And I'm like, I am, but all I need you to do is like me. I don't need to write with you, and, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. And uh, now before you got a uh, job as a regular actress on the BH1 show, Acceptable mm -hmm. TV, a show which I really enjoyed, um, you Thank worked you. day jobs unrelated to comedy. Yeah. Um, while still performing shows at night. 
Was there ever an issue juggling those two worlds? Uh, and what did it mean to you to be able to support yourself solely through your chosen field of comedy and acting? It was so great, yeah, because I worked at Lifetime Television and I was freelance and everyone there knew I was acting. So I got to leave for auditions, but I have this problem where I'm really good at my day jobs. Like I um, have been working them forever and I would become more invaluable to the company and less and less would be happening in comedy. And there's many moments where I went, you know what, this isn't happening. I'll just throw myself into my day job. And that's what I'll do. I'll get health insurance or whatever. And it was getting harder after a while. Like, I think at first my bosses were like, yeah, yeah, run out for auditions. And then when three years go by, you're still auditioning and nothing's landing. I think they're like, all right, you stopped leaving for three hours in the middle of the day. So the day I got that job and knew I could support myself, even though I knew it was only going to be for six months, it was so just liberating like I felt like I had a lot of like if I was a computer like a lot of stuff cleared out of my hard drive like so much less to think about you know it was great um, and then the show ended and I had to go back to temping but oh, whatever yeah. <laughs> but at least I'd have that validation and that taste right. of it you know now there, there are so many uh, outlets now for comedy and uh, sometimes one format which at first may seem just like a bit of fun that you're doing yeah. uh, can explode into something much larger. Uh, for example, the uh, Derek Waters web series Drunk, Drunk History. Yeah. Uh, it started out as a web series and now it's on HBO on the Funnier Dies show. Yeah. Um, does this change the way you approach new works or is it just always make it as funny as possible and hope the audience runs with it? What do you mean by new works? Like, like just if, doing if, a if someone comes up to you and says, "Hey, I want you to be in my my web video." Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, normally I'm like, I don't really feel like doing a web video. Sure. But with Derek, I mean, he was a friend of mine, and I'd seen the drunk histories. I thought they were awesome, so yeah. I thought it was this cool like cult thing I wanted to be a part of. But yeah, I don't think any of us were thinking about the result right. that it ever would go on TV. That it ever win it won Sundance this yeah. year. Like that was crazy. And Derek called me from there like, um, there's all these short films that were really great that were like, I saved a young girl in Rwanda and this thing went. So I feel like I never do anything thinking of the result because usually when you think something's going to be big, it isn't and vice versa. Hello. You just enjoy me. Oh, you can't. I'm a professional. Yes, yeah, sit and watch. That's okay. It's great. This is for a podcast. Yeah, so Rand Randy Sklar. Randy Sklar is just, uh, just the walked room. in. Howdy. Howdy, podcast. So, uh, Jen, you've appeared on a number of uh, great comedy podcasts like Comedy and Everything Else, uh, Mark Maron's WTF, and Never Not Funny. Uh, you've told some amazing life stories on there. Um, and I, think, uh, I think people should. Uh, Seek those out and, and try to. I think they should too. There are a lot of great things on there, uh, but I, I recently re-listened re to your interview on AST Radio, mm. and you mentioned working on a book. So whatever became of that? Oh, that's been like going around for. I was working on something that was more yeah. of a novel, and then I scrapped it. I read a lot of short stories, and like a lot of the stories I do in, in, in LA or used to do are like short story reading shows. So Jen doesn't finish a lot of things. Yeah, well, I've... You're, you're a bad finisher. Yeah. So I, I was like, well, well... But then it's like one of those things where it's like I couldn't get, you know, a fucking lit agent. And now I have a lit agent, but now Chelsea's lit agent wants to try to help out some of the writers. So that's probably off the record. But yep. but, but it's... it's He's, you know, he's, he's always like, oh, my God, everyone has a book. Like, he's just this really gregarious guy that thinks, like, if you have stories, you've got a book. So I feel like... Uh, I am working on something right now, and all the logistics of like who's going to be the business end of it yeah. won't be worked out. But what it will be is like kind of a selection of essays. I'm hoping based on the theme of like never fitting in, even amongst people who don't fit in, from childhood to adulthood. 
I'm looking forward to it when that finally comes out. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be looking for a long time. <laughs> I hope she finishes it. No, I will. Well, it's half finished. It's on my computer. You can take it. Take it with you. Good. You can have my that. <laughs> and uh, now you're uh, currently a writer and frequent uh, roundtable guest on Chelsea lately, and also uh, yeah, and you're uh, a frequent guest also. And we're here at the. Um, Comedians of Chelsea Lately, a show here in Denver. Yeah. Um, now how did you get that job, and what does your typical day consist of? The, how I got the job was the most boring story ever. It's just <laughs> like uh, my manager heard that they were looking for a writer, and I wrote a packet, and I submitted it, and the packet was just like, you know, jokes for the show. Um, they called me in for an interview. It seemed to go well. I don't know. It was a very strange interview where Chelsea asked me if I was a lesbian and if how old I was, which was funny, and then, like, I remembered, like, oh, yeah, try to be funny in the interview. So I just tried to, like, roll with it. And then in the middle of it, she just stood up and left. But that, now that I know her, that's just her. She had somewhere to be, and she's kind of, like, not paying attention, and she didn't mean anything by it. She was probably just like, yeah, I like it. All right, see ya. So that's how I got the job. And then I got the call the next day that I got it. And then the typical day, it's, like, very structured. We come in at 9. We look at TV shows that were on the night before. We pitch that Chelsea's very involved, so we show her, like, we think this is funny, do you like it? If she does, you know, that's what's going to be her opening monologue. Then we go into the writer's room, and we've been researching since the day before, like, topics. We shout them out to her. Whatever she likes, we immediately start writing jokes on and We don't have writer's assistants, so we take our own notes and stuff. Then we go back, type it up. She preps for the show, and then there's all these, like, little things. Like, everyone has their own little job they do to get the show going, you know? And then if you're on the round table... Oh, yeah, and if I'm also on the round table that day, I have to... Take the subjects that you guys come up with and write your own jokes. And write my own jokes. So that kind of is the hardest part, because, like, you don't want to sit there in the writer's room and go, I'm on the round table today, I want to hold the best joke for me. Like, you've got to just say what you think is the best joke and, yeah. and give it to the host. <laughs> so, but that's where forming your own voice to tell jokes is a good thing. Exactly. Because then you write a Jen Kirkman joke, and it's like better for you than it is it's for It's better her. for me, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was actually my next question. Uh, I was wondering if there was any difficulty after writing comedy in your own voice uh, to write jokes for someone else. No, it's easier for me to write jokes for someone yeah. else. It's both she someone, has such a clearly divine She voice. has such a clearly divine voice, and I'm not saying this against Jimmy Fallon or anything yeah. like that, but I feel like his voice isn't quite defined yet. Not yet. And I have a lot of friends that write on the show, and sometimes I feel like I can hear, oh, that's my friend Blah Blah's joke, that's my friend Blah Blah's mm -hmm. joke. And she just has such her own voice that it's, it's very easy to get into it almost too much where I start like doing it on my own and I'm like oh it's Chelsea that's not me so it's very easy to write jokes for her and it's helped discipline me as a joke writer because usually how I write is I go up on like an open mic and just blurt out something yeah. and then if it works I write it down later but now I go okay if I have an idea maybe I'll write it out and talk it out before I hit the stage but it's good it's great. Yeah, but it's easier to write for someone else, I think. Yeah. If the person, like you said, has their voice. Yeah. yeah. And um, as, as I mentioned, we're here at the uh, Comedians of Chelsea Lately tour. Mm -hmm. uh, where does this tour go next, and where are you performing next? We leave tomorrow morning, and we're going to Santa Rosa, California. And then um, that's it for me until June, okay. when I go to Indiana and... I think Boston, I, I read. Yeah, I go to Indiana, Orlando, and Boston. And then, um, so every comedian gets about anywhere from like three to five dates. And it's every weekend, but obviously not every person, like you don't ever go two weekends in a row. And Randy and Jay just were in Milwaukee. Um, yeah, we're just in Milwaukee and Indiana and Indianapolis. Yeah. And then are you guys going back to Indianapolis? 
We're going to Hammond, Indiana, which is actually half hour outside of Chicago. Okay. Cool. At a casino. That's going to be the challenging one. That's going to be a challenge. Because it's... So it's a challenge. To get people from Chicago to to go there. Yeah. And not just people who have lost 80 bucks their weekly paycheck at the craps table. Right, exactly. I want to hear about your neuroses, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) At that point, I'll just maybe just go into the audience and hold them. That's right. You yeah. can do a lot of cr- there's a lot of crying. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of people in, a lot of people in jazzies crying because they lost their weekly paycheck. I did see someone in Vegas uh, gambling at a slot machine with a snuggie on. A oh, weeks nice. Ago. That is. It, I couldn't believe I didn't have my camera. I was with I was visiting my parents who were there vacationing, and my camera was so low that when I tried to take the picture. The, my phone, it was like too low for camera use. And I'm oh like, God. why is God so cruel? Why put the person in a snuggie next to me? I love that that person is like, I am one step away from falling asleep. Like, and they're smoking. <laughs> and, and they're smoking. smoking. So like, you're going to smell like that. Your snuggie's going to smell like smoke. Of course smoke. your snuggie's going to smell like that. Even if you weren't smoking, it wouldn't. Because if it didn't, anyway. it wouldn't smell right. Yeah. I'm assuming they don't smell that great anyway. No. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, thank you very much. Thank you. You have to get on stage soon. Yes, that was super fun. I'd like to thank Jen Kirkman and Randy Sklar for taking the time to do this interview. The show they performed afterwards was hilarious, and I recommend you try to see them if they come through your town. Jen Kirkman will be performing uh, lots of shows in Los Angeles over the next month, and in mid-June will be in Boston and in Indiana and Florida at the end of June. Check her Facebook page for more details. That's it for this time, so until next time, this is Rick saying goodbye forever.